So last week, uh, we started a, a short series, which uh, I've been doing on, on generosity and the importance of generosity. And as I said last week, I, I genuinely believe that this is something that God wants for you and not from you. That I know when a preacher starts talking um, about money, it's like, oh, is he trying to like buy a new plane? And I really do need that for my, no, I don't need that. Um, and, and you're like, oh man, this is, but I genuinely believe that it's something that God wants for you and, and um, not from you. And Jesus talks about money often. Scholars will say that Jesus talks about money probably second most. Um, he talks about the kingdom of God. We sang that great song, which is so perfect, all hail King Jesus, because Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And if the, the kingdom of God is reality and the kingdom of God is here, as Jesus talks about, then at some level, it takes sacrificing what matters here. It takes being diligent with what we have. And I think that's especially hard. And I know that none of us feel rich, but it's likely that if you're in this room today or if you're joining us online, it's likely that you are in the top 10% of the world's wealth, probably towards the top. And I know no one feels rich, but in fact, you probably are. And for most of us, what can subtly happen is four or five times a day when you're buying lunch or when you're buying coffee, you pull out a card like this or you pull out cash if you're ancient um, and you, I'm kidding, but you pull out a card four or five times a day and you just, you know, buy your lunch, buy, buy whatever it is, pay for medicine, whatever it is that, that you're paying for. And I think just subtly, all those times, every single day, you just start to believe, like, I, I got this, you know? I, I can pay for this. It's not a big deal. God, you know, I'll come to you when I have like a real life emergency, but I, I, I got the rest. And so I think for a lot of us, and I've actually had several conversations with people who have spent time in uh, developing countries and those, those conversations that people say, yeah, no, when you talk about that last week, you're, you're totally right. Like it's, it's just different as far as, as faith um, and our belief that we just somewhat believe that we got it. That's why it's really important to hear the words of Jesus. So Jesus says this in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that's surprising to me because if I was Jesus, and it's a good thing that I'm not Jesus, but if I was Jesus, I think I would have other things to say to fill in that second blank. I think I'd say the, the devil or, or sat, satanic forces. Like there's a few other things that I would say first before money. But Jesus is getting at the, the spiritual power that I think we have to all recognize is at the heart of how we view our stuff and our money and how it is that we feel secure. And unfortunately, the reason why you or I like, likely don't feel rich, though it's likely that you and I are extravagantly wealthy, and most of the entire world would like, trade like, your, your position with them in a heartbeat. Like, statistically, nine out of 10 people in the world would say, I would take your financial situation. They might not take the rest of your life, but they'd take, financially, they'd say, I, I would take it, and I know you don't feel rich, but that's because you're, you're told not to feel rich, constantly. People say that we see as many as 3,000 ads a day, and you're like, I don't really know how that's possible, but just look at the sidebars. You might not actually look at them on your computer. But constantly, these things are telling you that there's something that you're missing, and we can help solve it. And there was a man uh, named Edward Bernays, 
who uh, much has been written about lately because he was somewhat of like the father of propaganda. And he um, spent some time around Sigmund Freud. And Freud said that people make like irrational decisions all day long. Like they think that they're being rational, but we all collectively make irrational decisions all the time. And I know like if you're listening, you're like, well, I'm the one rational one. Totally, you are. But the rest of us struggle with this. Um, and he, he said that like you're like making, but the thing is every decision you think is rational, like when you're making it, of course, like generally you don't think like you're making wild decisions all the time. But Freud said people make irrational decisions all the time. And if you tap into certain motivations, you can make them do all kinds of things. And so Bernays actually, during World War I, specifically ran propaganda for the United States and did some unbelievable things. You can look it up, stuff that I don't really want to talk about in church, actually. Uh, You can Google it right now if you really want to. But then after wartime is over, he basically comes up with that. He's like, oh, this could be used during peacetime as well. Like tapping into some of these motivations, like we could totally use this. And so Bernays, in a book about this, uh, called Propaganda, says this, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the mass is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes are formed largely by people we have never even heard of. One of them is Edward Bernays. So one thing that he did when he came back during peacetime is that pork farmers were struggling, which I'm surprised was a problem because um, bacon's really good. But pork farmers during this time uh, were struggling. And so he comes back and he like starts working in the pork industry and starts to talk with several uh, different doctors and says to them, like, wouldn't it be a good idea if people ate a bigger breakfast? And so finish the sentence for me. Breakfast is most important meal of the day. It's really not. Statistically, especially right now, they're finding out that it's not. And in previous, some of you are like, I see some people looking at their parents like, see? Like, uh, um, before World War I, most Americans for breakfast ate a piece of toast and a little bit of orange juice. Like, it really wasn't a big thing. But Bernays goes and finds, it's like one of those studies that you see on commercials that's like, nine out of ten doctors recommend that, like, you should have a bigger breakfast. And uh, so he starts to say that. And so he starts then to sell what is, like, the typical American meal, which is what for breakfast? Bacon and eggs. <laughs> so don't act like you're not manipulated by this. Because I know for me, like if I'm having like a special breakfast, there better be some bacon there. I mean, that, that's like, that's, it's just to be expected. And so some of it is like that. And it's like, oh man, that, that's, that's a little scary. But it gets a little bit worse. Uh, he actually was working for the tobacco industry, and uh, he determines that there's a large number of people that weren't smoking all that much, women specifically. And so he then starts like putting women up as models, as like very, very, very thin models. And before that time, the average like model was actually more of like a normal looking person. And then Bernays starts putting the model woman is like a very, very skinny person. And then he starts to sell cigarettes as a way to stop you from eating too much. So if you're having a, a like craving for something, just smoke a cigarette. That's a great swap out, isn't it? And so it's kind of insidious as it get a little bit deeper into this, but it affects all of us. 
Some stats that, that I have, I just want to make sure and read them. The average American home has over 300,000 items in it. We consume twice as much material goods as we did 50 years ago. 25% of people with two-car garages can't park any car in the garage. The average person has 10 feet of storage space. We could sleep our entire nation, not the, not the people who are without homes. We could sleep our entire nation in the storage units that we have in the United States. So we have a lot of stuff. And does it really make us all that much happier? Statistically, I don't know how they study this, but the studies say that well-being has been on the decline since 1952. So like Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money or stuff. And it's just so easy for us to subtly think you can buy your way to a better life. You can subtly think there's, there's just something out there. My son will say, even though we've only been a couple times, my son will say that his favorite restaurant is Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, and the reason is because you get all those like little trinkets, right? Like, all those things that literally are thrown away within a week. And it's easy for me to look at my kid and go, well, come on, man. But imagine if I was able to do the same thing. And so look at some of the stuff that I think is important now. And again, there's going to be a time in your life, as I mentioned last week, that your credit card, that your money is not going to solve your most pressing issue. Can you live into that reality now? So again, Jesus talks about this all the time. He tells a parable in Luke chapter 12. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And something to note about that, go back for one second on that. Thank you so much. Uh, in and this, it's basically like a, a very self-centered problem. This is like the hashtag, like first, first world problem. Uh, he says, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So what shall I do? I have no place to store my, so it's a, a very, very self-centered person. He has this abundant harvest and notice where Jesus says it actually comes from. Where is it? The ground. It's not from him. And he worked on it. He labored. But it came from the ground. It was a blessing. Many of us, and I would completely <laughs> conclude myself in this, we work hard in Los Angeles. You work hard. You work 60-hour weeks to make a living. It's a grind here. And it's easy for us to start to think, I, I, I deserve this. Where I think Jesus would say, there's some soil around you that has blessed you. So yeah, you, you work hard, but who was it that, that caused you to be born in the United States versus somewhere else? Who was it that helped pay for you to go to college? 
Some of you, like me, like, were dumb enough to go to seven years of school. Like, why? <laughs> I don't know, but we did. And somebody paid for that. And perhaps I paid for some of it myself in school loans. But it's easy for us to start to think, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working really hard, and this is mine. To see this abundant harvest and to not think about the soil and all the, the things that have been part of this, but then to just stand back and go, yeah, what, what, shall, what shall I do with all my stuff? I, I remember, I distinctly remember my, my first job, I worked for the Parks and Rec and I had like a summer counselor job where I worked with kids and my first paycheck was $167 after a couple weeks and I remember putting that in the bank and thinking like, well, I am never going to run out of money. Like, this is <laughs> unbelievable and maybe I can get this into nickels and go swim in it for a while. I mean, I, I, like what, I, I remember exactly what that was like. And if you were to like, you know, get into a time machine and, and tell me what, what, what I make today, I would just say, are you kidding me? Like, I'm just, I'm gonna, like, it's going to be unlimited. And for many of us, if you were to actually, you know, go back and say that this is going to be what you make, you'd be like, whoa, God, if I could do, if I could get that, it, it's like the promise that we make when we play the lottery every once in a while, right? Like, all right, God, if I get rich, like all of it, you know, a good percentage going to you. Like, if you were able to get a time machine, you're going to make this one day. You're going to say, Whoa. But it's an appetite. It's like eating on Thanksgiving. You're going to eat way too much on Thanksgiving, like most people. And then on Friday, about 11 a.m., you're going to be like, I really want like a couple pieces of pie right now. It's, just, it's an appetite. And it just becomes more and more. So do you ever think about the soil? Or it's so easy to just think about, okay, I'm just going to buy more stuff or, or get more things. That's going to make me happy. You can't serve both God and money. So this guy's solution, Jesus says, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many of years. Take, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And this is a lie that, again, like I'm with you on this. I think it's easy for us to start to believe that we can save our way to freedom. That if there's just a certain amount, like if whatever that number is for you, like there's a, a dollar amount, that you would say, if I only had that much saved, then I, no one could touch me. That's this guy's motivation. Okay, I, I got all this abundant crop. I, I want to have all this stored up just in case there's a rainy day. It's easy for us to just say, like, all right, if, if I just had... And for all of us, like, the answer of whatever that number is that would make you feel, like, financially secure, the answer is more than you have. That's true of all of us. So it's always going to be a little bit more. If I just got to that figure, I, I can save my way to safety. And I believe the Bible talks about saving. I, I believe that the Bible talks about like being careful. I believe the, the Bible teaches us uh, to, to save a percentage and to give a percentage. And that's the problem I think Jesus has with this guy, is he's just using all of it for himself. 
I want to make sure that I, I can like, be secure just in case something else comes up instead of going like, wow, I have an abundant harvest. What am I going to do? And that should be a question that we should all ask ourselves. Like, I, I, I have an abundant harvest. What can I do? And I asked you last week, and maybe you haven't done it yet, that, that's totally fine, to just ask yourself the question, what, what percentage um, have, have I or have we as a couple given this year, not just to our church, but just in general, what percentage have you given? And it's really not to make you feel judged or anything. I just hope that you would consider this question because I want us all to be generous people. I don't want to be, and I don't think you want to be the person who, like when your funeral comes around, like, man, he was really stingy. You know, you remember when, remember when the check would come and he wouldn't make eye contact. <laughs> I think we, we want to be generous people, right? And I, I have to tell you, this is something that I think has, has improved somewhat uh, in myself. I still have a ways to go, but Mandy and I, when we were first married, we had the opportunity to go to Europe, and, and we were in Paris. And just to give you a little background, I studied uh, in Germany my sophomore year of college, so my like, study abroad thinking is you go and get a loaf of bread and, and Nutella, and that's like dinner and lunch. You know, that's how, that's kind of how, how you roll. And as a married couple, like, that's not really what Mandy wanted. 100% fair, 100% fair. But I, I we, we had a, an argument, I remember, on the streets of Paris about not going to spend $50 on a dinner. She is not, like, high rolling. It's just like, come on, like, it's just, it's, Paris, how many times are we going to have the opportunity uh, to be here? And I wish more than anything that I could get in a time machine and go fix that problem. Because I would love to say, come on, man. Like, come on, just, just go to the slightly nice uh, dinner. Uh, and that's just not what I want to be known for. And, and I have to say that part of the process in myself has been tithing and giving more. And I think that has helped me to see money in a different way. And I think at that point in my life, I was on the cheap side of frugal, and I'm, I'm moving in a different direction. So I'm trying uh, to move, and it has been something that has blessed me. And again, I think it's something that God wants for me, and it's something that God wants for all of us. Because I know that when it comes to money that I've given away to causes that I believe in, I don't miss it. There are purchases that I make sometimes on Amazon that I do, like, man, why did I get this? But when it comes to things that I give to that I believe in, I just don't miss it. Jesus teaches, you fool. This is how God views this man who makes the bigger barn. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I think we all subtly believe that there's some sense where we can hoard our way to safety. And we watch the show Hoarders and we're like, well, at least I'm not that. But again, the average American home has 300,000 items in it. And we can just start to believe that we can consume more and more. But Jesus says, be rich toward God. And this is something that I think we all like, very easily could apply. 
Be rich towards God. What's a cause? What's something that you believe in? Go give to it. Be rich towards God. It's not that hard. And this is a somewhat new idea that that Jesus uh, starts to present because in that time there were gods and goddesses and if you wanted to worship Zeus, you would go to the temple of Zeus and put like this sacrifice and it was an unbelievable thing. And Jesus is saying, what what I want you to do instead is, is think of your money as a tool that you can use to honor God and then to bless other people. To make this world a better world. Be rich towards God. So I hope for all of us that we would realize that it's likely that we are very, very wealthy. And that's a great blessing. But may you and I just pray about and think about how we can be more generous with what we have. I know you, you, have, you have bills to pay, you have things that are going on, but can you just look honestly and say, okay, here, here is what, what I gave in this last year, and, and maybe next year, can, can I give another percent? And again, to, to causes I believe in, things that, that matter to me. Because I believe that generosity can change your heart and my heart. As we, we close today, I, I would make a couple minute case for, for our church, for giving specifically uh, to our church, because of course, like, I need to. <laughs> uh, first of all, I, I would say that we, as, as a church, we, we try to be generous with, with what we have. This year, and I'm thankful for, for your generosity, over the last six years, we've been able to support Chris and Crystal's work in Kenya and raised $180,000 for their work. And Chris and Crystal's work is, is finishing at the end of this year in Nairobi. They're going to come back, and Chris is going to work for the organization stateside. But what some of you might not know is that Chris and Crystal met at our church. Is there a Chris and Crystal without our church? I don't know. Maybe they meet at Starbucks. I don't know. But they met at our church. And they felt a calling from God to go do work in one of the poorest parts of the world. And you all have been exceedingly generous in blessing them and their work. You know what I'm passionate about? Finding the next Chris and Crystal. And next time it might be a single person. Next time that person might want to stay in LA and do work, which would be awesome. Keep them here, God. Let's do that. But I'm passionate about the ways that that we have been generous. During COVID, we've given over $8,000 to support Family Promise and their ministries and their work, which is is housing families in our communities. Throughout COVID, we've had uh, the opportunity to continue to give to the Ascensia Shelter in Glendale. Last week, it was so great to be able to serve for the first time in so long and just to see the, the faces of the people there for the first time since February of 2020. So I just argue that we try to be generous with what we have, just as we call you to be generous as well. And I would say that one of the things that's so unique about our church and our, our mission is being a home in LA for people. Loneliness is a serious problem in our world today. There's, in the last few years, the UK has hired a loneliness minister to work like full-time. There's also one, I believe, in China that just tries to solve the problem of loneliness.
So I saw an article that said, if you feel lonely, you aren't alone, which is kind of funny. So if you do feel that way, I hope that you connect more and more with our church. But one thing that, that I feel so passionate about uh, is that if you come to our church, like you're going to walk out of here with a few friends because we are a home in L.A. And we're helping to solve that problem, which is increasingly an issue, especially coming out of COVID. And I'm so thankful, like one of my favorite parts of the service is after the service is over on Sundays, when we get a chance to just talk with each other and make that connection. Marlene came to church for the first time this Sunday um, since March of 2020. It was so, so good to, to see her. And she has been watching all, online all this time, but she said there's just something different about actually being here. And I think that that is, is true. We get to experience that together because we are a family trying to be a home for LA, a home in LA for, for all people. And we've been able to experience this recently in a specific way as we have been uh, praying for and, and trying to think of Nick Gathman as he's going through cancer treatment. And it's been awesome to see the ways that you all are, are praying for him. So many of us have gone down to, to visit him in the hospital. I remember talking to Stephanie uh, Lankford, who just took him a massive Chick-fil-A feast because that's what he wanted. And so many people have just been so generous in how they have like creatively thought of, of how to love him during this time and to pray uh, for Nick and Chris. Stephanie, in all her artistic talents, she made this book, which um, was, you all like did a whole bunch of artwork and poetry and things that I was able to, to give to Nick in the hospital. And like that kind of stuff, just, I can't put it into words. And Cagney had all of our kids in our kids' ministry write cards for Nick and included a special QR code, which had each one of the kids telling a joke for Nick. <laughs> Most of them were poop-related, but still, they got to work a little bit on that. And Sam Holland just gave me this that she had knitted for Nick. And it's this kind of stuff. Like, I, I'm, I'm not capable of any of this. I, I can go sit in the hospital and talk with somebody and, and pray with them and talk about the Bible with them, but knitting isn't my thing. But you all in this time have been creatively thinking about how you can show Nick, and I know we're all praying so much for him, and it does seem to continue to be positive. He'll be starting his fourth round of chemo on Friday. But it's just awesome to see the ways that our, our community loves each other is helping in a hard time for him. And every single Sunday, some of you joining online and those in person, we get a chance to meet new people and just try to invite them into the community that we have here. Because to make a home in LA in a lonely place is, is hard, but it's such meaningful and important work. So again, I would ask you to think about how you could be part of what God is doing in and through our community. But above all, I just want you to be generous. Because, again, it's likely that you are, are wealthy, and that's great. Maybe you didn't know that until a couple of weeks ago, and you're like, wow, I'm rich. I had no idea. Congratulations. May you be challenged to think 
about how you can give to things that you believe in, causes that you believe in, because you can't serve both God and money. So now as we share in communion, let's remember, and I hope that you forever think about this verse a little bit differently, but we all know how to finish this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave. For, thank you, Marlene, you went all the way, but for God so loved the world that he gave. We think this is the foundation of our faith. This is a verse that you knew even before you got here today. This, this is the, the, the center of our world, is the self-giving love of God. So may we take part in that as well. And may we live with a greater and greater sense of how we can give and be generous in the world. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for our church community. I'm thankful for the, the generous spirits that we have, the, those who give so much of their time and effort, and those, and those of us who give of our, our money as well. God, we just want to serve you with it. We pray that you would stir all of our hearts to join you in being generous and loving the world. May we just seriously ask the, the question of our hearts, God, where do you want to lead me on this? And may we always remember that you loved the world so much that you gave. May we follow in that pattern. Your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.